You're not the host. Shut up. <laughs> Someone actually felt very strongly about that. And welcome to the Down of Front Podcast. I'm your host, the Mouth of the South Brylin. And we are here gathered tonight with a bunch of my friends to review the surprise post-Super Bowl movie, The Cloverfield Paradox. But before we get into that, let's do some introductions. So to my left... Looking as fashionable as, as always, the host of the Fear Boners himself, Mr. Andrew Abbott. How are you doing this evening? Doing very well, very well. Very warm right now. My entire body is covered with spandex or velour or velvet, and I'm just overheating because it's up at uh, 80 degrees, so I'm going to be melting soon. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> That's good to, good to get away from that snow out there, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you been uh, drinking tonight? Uh, drinking some some leftover Narragansetts from when we watched the Royal Rumble. We still have like a ton of those still hanging around. Um, and uh, am I going into what I've been watching? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been watching a little bit of um, Altered Carbon. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, really good high sci-fi. Um, Devilman Crybaby was some of the anime I've been watching. But most recently, the, uh, the movie that I watched that I really loved was Creep 2. Um, it's got the dude from uh, The League uh, reprising his role as Creep from the first Creep movie. Uh, it's a horror movie where he kind of decides that he wants to make a documentary of the fact that he's a serial killer. Um, and it's really awkward and uncomfortable, and there's lots of penises in it. So it's a great movie, and I highly recommend it. Yep. And to Abbott's immediate left, um, this guy needs no introduction. He is, as the Lord intended, Mr. Mocha Mike. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. I feel like I haven't seen seen any of you in quite a while. I think this is... Is this our first review since uh, the new year? First full uh, one. Second. No, it's the first one. Yeah, it's the first one I've yeah. been back on. That's right. Well, I I'm glad to be back. I did hear that. It scared the, it scared the flaccid out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Some immediate throwbacks. Um, as for, as for what I've been up to in terms of content that I've been watching, I've been binging on a lot of anime lately. Um, not unlike Mr. Andrew Abbott, I recently went through Devilman Crybaby, which, uh, was absolutely nuts. Um, it's an interesting show. I liked it a lot. The animation is really, it kind of feels rough and simplistic, but it's super smooth when it, uh, when it kicks into high gear. And once you get through a few episodes, it kind of feels right. Um, and it's a show that really grew on me as it went along, though it is not for the faint of heart. It's pretty bloody and gory and over-sexualized in the sort of way that only the Japanese could do in, in a cartoon. Um, so check it out on Netflix if you're interested in that. And as for what I'm drinking, uh, I'm not drinking too much tonight. I'm trying to take it easy. So I'm sitting here with a bottle of Havana Club Anejo Especial that my cousin brought me from her trip to Cuba. And I'm about to take a shot um, to kick this off. So salud, guys. Taking it easy. Mazel tov. I love how he goes. Yeah, I'm not going to be drinking too much, but I'm going to have a shot at yeah. the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> and then just yeah, well, dies taking it. When you drink, when you smash a, a 12-pack to yourself during Super Bowl weekend, uh, one shot is, is kind of taking it easy. But yeah. Only a 12-pack? Exactly. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us this evening, Mocha. 
My pleasure. We are excited to hear what you have to say. To his left, the man with the greatest lips on the planet, probably. The one and only the shredder, Mike Blewett. How are you doing this evening? Oh, fantastic, my friend. Uh, although, I, I don't know, Warren might give me a, a good run for the money on my lips. Mike. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty neck and neck. They're both quite succulent. <laughs> um, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, honestly, I've been doing a lot of catch-up, not to tease the next episode before the next real episode, but uh, I've been trying to get my, my Marvel TV game back in order, uh, which is kind of hard because there's a lot of it uh, that came out this fall. Um, as far as what I'm drinking, it's mostly going to be leftover beer from the previous, like, weekends. Uh, obviously, I think there was a big party that happened on Sunday. Uh, I don't remember any of it, uh, so I don't think Sunday happened. So if we could just replay the Super Bowl, because I know that's coming up. I know the Patriots are in it. I'm pretty excited about it, so I'm, I'm really I'm really happy to see them there. Um, Interesting that you want to relive that night. Yeah, no, I don't think it happened. So let's just—it's a redo, right? They just—they because they're recording this before Sunday, they, right? No, they lost. But so the, get over it. They bro. just did a redo, a redo. Oh, get wow. over it, bro. Uh, yeah, you remember when Gronk shit his pants? That was great. <laughs> I was gonna say only three more losses in a row, and then we can equal the Bills' uh, rousing success from the, the early '90s. This is gonna get oh, contentious dude. real fast. Oh, and thanks for oh, joining dude, us for the Down bro, From Podcast. Years ago. <laughs> I'm well, are you drinking anything tonight? I think I'm getting kicked up. Yeah, so it's all leftover beer. Uh, I got this nice oh, okay. uh, coffee black lager uh, from Sam Adams, which I was holding off to to do after for one of these things. But uh, after that, it's all gonna be Gansets and Bud Lights. Good stuff. Yep. All right, drown your sorrow as well, my friend. Oh, I'll recover eventually. Uh, and to his left. It's none other than the one and only, sounding very far away, often imitated, but only one original. The man, the founder of the Downfront Podcast himself, Mr. Warren Jackson. How are you doing this evening? Uh, and welcome to the Down... Oh, wait, different one. Uh, I am doing well. Uh, thanks for uh, having me. I'm excited. I am way, way up here in the uh, great state of Alaska and uh, looking down in the lower 48, as they call it up here which I think is hilarious. Um, but yeah, I'm having a great time. It's interesting. This is a very uh, uh, regionally diverse episode of the podcast. We've got people in Massachusetts, people in New York, people in California, people in allegedly Alaska. I'm pretty sure he's in Russia and he's just he's doing a little <laughs> espionage action. He's there. Trump's guy. Oh, nice. Warren, <laughs> oh, wow. did you get yeah. to swim with the salmon while you're out there? I did. I did that yesterday. Did it you was catch weird. one with your mouth? I did. <laughs> gotta look out because they always go for your butt. Uh, yeah anyways uh <laughs> i am currently sipping on uh i'm trying to uh, take it easy uh not have anything crazy i just have some jameson uh so i'm gonna go take a shot of that but wait a minute wait a minute warren warren yeah there's something special about this jameson now what, is what what is this jameson chilled with oh this jameson is, this is an alaskan with, uh, jameson uh, the uh, uh Pure, purest of the purest white snow in, uh, of Alaska. <laughs> in, in Alaska. Oh, for a second there, I was um, going to go grab my tiki torches. Yeah, right. Pure whites. Uh, white snow is right snow. <laughs> oh, we're not going to go there. Oh. Yikes. Uh, yeah, this is uh, actually chilled with some Alaskan snow because I couldn't find any ice anywhere else. And it works. So I'm going to be doing that, kind of hanging out. So cheers to everybody. And- <laughs> 
I drink it. <laughs> Cheers to you, dogs. Was that your butt? <laughs> There's going to be a lot of dogs. Hopefully that it doesn't interrupt too much. Uh, but I've been watching uh, Goodbye, Christopher Robin uh, on the plane, which I thought was an awesome, awesome movie. And definitely go check it out because Donald Gleason and Margot Robbie in it. So who wouldn't love those cats? And uh, his name is Alex. I'll look up his last name, but he is probably my favorite character now, especially he's in the Netflix series of End of the Fucking World, which is also phenomenal. And I also kind of binged that within the last week. So lots of good TVs to start off. Lots of good stuff coming out for right now to start off 2018. So definitely go check it out. And uh, it's great to be here. Awesome. Thanks for joining us tonight. And what I've been drinking is I decided I've had a long day. I want to stay awake. So I got a venti uh, iced Americano from my local Starbucks. Trying to make Americanos great again. So. <laughs> <laughs> we should have just taken 2018 off. <laughs> yeah. Our first big podcast. We're, we're rocking it right now. Yeah, we're getting very subversive now. <laughs> but uh, recently what I've been watching, I wa- decided to watch the first two episodes of Alter Carbon and Electric Jeans. Just because it's really cool. It's like, hey, new sci-fi stuff, things that are along the kind of cyberpunk genre or just um, trying to reinvigorate hard sci-fi because we had a lot of success in that with shows like The Expanse and movies like Blade Runner 2049. And I found both of them to be just kind of like lukewarm and mad because – I feel like they both suffer from the same thing that I think um, Black uh, was it Black Mirror suffers from is that they're trying too hard to get their points across, and I think I mean they're just two two shows that have a lot of potential. They got good things going for them. They got really solid budgets, but um, it's not anything new or refreshing. It feels very boring and drawn out for no purpose at all, which is kind of upsetting i believe it was a hot take because you're saying black mirror tries too hard did you just glaze over that or we're not gonna (laughs) unpack that at all i mean that's one reason that i can't get into black mirror that much is because i feel like it's just hitting the the nail on the head too too hard well brylan this is an an important distinction are you saying that the series tries too hard or season four of black mirror has tried too hard well i watched just the first season and I think that season tries. Well, it gets better as you go along, definitely. It gets better. <laughs> Electric. I mean, I'm a man with only limited amount of time, so if I'm very picky about my choices after some very brief stints, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll try that's, a couple more episodes and see if they finally win me over. But they're not off to good starts. That's your right as an American, Bryland. The right to choose. <laughs> Last thing I did check out was. Uh, Mike, I hate to break it to you, but the Super Bowl did happen. There were some commercials during the Super Bowl. Um, I would say, in particular, ones that really stood out were the David Harbour tight ads. And those were just hilarious to watch. I think those are some of the best Super Bowl commercials made in quite a while. So it's a lot of fun and entertaining. I can't stop eating Tide Pods. Um, (laughs) No one can. No, it's another Tide ad is one of the most brilliant marketing uh, ploys I've seen. Uh, or marketing techniques I've seen in a while. It was that it really got me. It was good. Well, as soon as they yeah. pointed out that everyone's got clean clothes, like 
it the entire rest of the the show, I was just like, oh, they have clean clothes. This must be a Tide ad, and kind of immediately <laughs> forgot about what we were actually like, what the actual ad was about. It just makes every commercial a tie Yeah. Yeah, they hijacked every other commercial in the Super Bowl. It was brilliant. <laughs> Speaking of interesting uh, things that have been um, that were advertised during the Super Bowl, one of those things in particular was uh, this movie we're going to review tonight, the Cloverfield uh, Paradox. Yes, Cloverfield Paradox. And so you just saw this random commercial come on from Netflix, and then you realize it's a new Cloverfield movie, and you're like, oh, shit, Netflix has this. And then they play it again. It says will be available after the Super Bowl, and you're like, "Wow!" And just they just announced this movie for the first time and dropped it the same night, which is really hasn't been done uh, at all. Yeah, I want to I want to bring you guys on a little emotional roller coaster for me. That was an extremely exciting moment. Now, when that happened, I was definitely not in a standard state of mind. We won't talk about what things were influencing me at the moment, but there were many. Um, but regardless, it opened up with a scene from the original Cloverfield and then transitioned into the trailer for the new one. And the very thought of what I expected to be a direct sequel, given that setup, um, filled me with like crazy excitement. I love the original Cloverfield movie. To this day, I still love it. And I'm, I am a fan of 10 Cloverfield Lane as well. So the amount of hype that I felt coursing through my body was... Uh, unparalleled at that moment. Yeah, I was definitely excited when they uh, showed that too because uh, even though I wasn't a big fan of the first Cloverfield movie, I, I really enjoyed Ten Cloverfield Lane. I thought that was awesome. So I was like, oh, cool. I really definitely want to see something new in this uh, universe. But uh, what are other people's thoughts on how they approach this marketing? You know, I thought it was pretty awesome. I'm really glad they did it because arguably this is one of the like the only event that I think everybody's going to be watching. My only sort of concern is the one thing that people may not want to watch is after the Super Bowl because at that I mean at this Super Bowl because at that time I believe, you know, this is us premiered as well as a lot of people going to be getting drunk and it's already pretty late. There's like not many things in your favor to release this movie the day of the Super Bowl. Now, 7 a.m. the next day, 8 a.m., 9 p.m. the next day or something like that, I think that would have been pretty effective. But for them to release it on the night of the Super Bowl, by the time that the Super Bowl ended, I think it was um, like 10 o'clock or something like that, 9.30, 10 o'clock. I just think it would be kind of tough for uh, for people to actually want to flock to it. Now, I think it's pretty smart, but I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting. Well, Here's something to keep in mind, though, with that, Warren, is that way more people than you might might realize are um, making the demographic of individuals who are at home watching the Super Bowl. And that time slot directly after the Super Bowl has long been a coveted time slot for our TV shows. Um, like oh, one quick like random example off the top of my head is how Family Guy premiered or Fox premiered the pilot for Family Guy after the Super Bowl. Um, so it's actually a really coveted spot in terms of like TV broadcasting. And I think that going up against This Is Us was a smart thing. Like, I think if it was... I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was, like, Criminal Minds was after the Super Bowl, um, and that was, like, a kind of a big deal. I was, like, into those types of shows at that time, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, not be wasted and, you know, watching the Patriots win the Super Bowl. Um, and so I probably wouldn't have watched Cloverfield because I would have been watching Criminal Minds, but I think This Is Us is marketed at such a, a different demographic than who would have been watching Cloverfield that it, it 
it truthfully was smart to put it after there because you're probably getting a different set, like set of people that are still looking to be entertained. I'll give you for example, I know it was late, but my buddy takes he works a nine to five job and takes um, that Monday off every single uh, time. Every single year he takes that Monday off, uh, and so he's in a state where he can wake up late the next day and could stay up late the night before. Um, and it was a perfect example of someone who would watch that movie. I think he was, he's like one of the biggest Patriot fans I know, and I think he was getting ready to jump out of his second story window, but, so I don't think he watched it, but, but he would have been a perfect demographic of someone to watch that, that film. <laughs> I thought it was, a, I mean, I think it definitely worked in their favor because um, I was actually doing what everybody does, look at social media while you're watching the Super Bowl, just multi-screening everything nowadays. <laughs> And, um, and a lot of people were, it was showing that a lot of people were tuning in that, uh, Netflix's like viewership, like spiked during the second half of the Super Bowl because of this. So that and the Infinity War been. trailer, the Infinity War trailer was like, ba, 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 yeah, ba. dude, someone pointed this out that they don't even need to put the, the name of the movie in the trailer. Everyone just knows. They're like, like, yep, you just put the freaking A, and it's like, yeah, that's that's Avengers. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into our review of uh, The Cloverfield Paradox. I don't know why it's so hard to say. But, um, Pair of socks. <laughs> the Cloverfield <laughs> Pair of socks. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. to review the Cloverfield Paradox. So we're going to start off with our wins tonight. So Mr. Mike Blue, what are some things uh, you, that won you over with this movie? So yeah, Brian, uh, I think the two things, I think the advertisement, um, the campaign that they ran for this was absolutely what drew me in. And I thought that was awesome. Uh, Netflix is clearly trying to get on a path of like, how ridiculous can we make our marketing with like the Punisher? They didn't release a single trailer. And I think the only reason they released a trailer was because the, the, the date got pushed back because of the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah. Like the word was that they wanted to release it that weekend. And then, and they were doing all these things in the pre, Oh no, no, they did have previous trailers, but they just blanked out like the, the release date. And they were planning on just kind of dropping it one day. And they were, I thought they were supposed to do the same thing with this. Um, and so that's instantly just something to make me watch this movie and be interested in it. Um, I always like when businesses innovate and this seems like a possible way of innovating on the, the field of advertising and marketing. Um, the other thing is that definitely the cast drew me in. Um, I really 
I, I super warned this where I didn't see either of the first two and I didn't know anyone and I barely saw because I was at a big Super Bowl party so I barely saw the commercial for Paradox. And so yeah, uh, this movie starts off with um, Gugu Mbatha-Ra and uh, David O standing on the bridge there um, going back and forth and they're just joined by another like star-studded cast with um, Daniel Brühl, Elizabeth Debicki comes in about halfway through, uh, Chris O'Dowd, who is everyone's favorite near-drunk Irishman, um, and, uh, returning from Rush Hour 2, uh, Zhang Zi, uh, she is absolutely my favorite, uh, Rush Hour 2 villain, and I don't watch enough Chinese films to know her from anywhere else. Apparently she's one of the four Project Don... Project Tiger Dragon. Yeah, well, yeah, besides that one, um... Which is like 20 years ago. Uh, apparently she's one of the four most bankable actresses in China, but like, I can only name her in like two movies. Whatever. And one of those is Rush Hour, so that immediately overqualifies her. Um, and I think that that interplay between all of them, because this movie was definitely a smaller movie. Like, you didn't have... It really focused on the personal interactions between them, and I think that you combined a lot of people with drastically different... Uh, artistic acting styles. You know, you 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 didn't really have to make them stretch to become roles because they're basically the characters we've seen them in a lot and then force those different characters to interact with each other. Like, we didn't have, you know, um, what's his face, Chris O'Dowd in, like, a goofy comedy role. Like, his comedy role had to bounce off the very German, very serious Daniel Brühl, you know? And, like, I thought those interactions... Um, really gave a nice credence to this movie. It, it felt like an international effort rather than, you know, a bunch of, like, Americans playing people from other places. So, yeah, those were those were honestly my biggest wins, uh, marketing and then cast. Awesome. Cool. Warren, what you got? Um, I don't know if I have a lot of wins for this movie. Uh, I was glad that they attempted to make like a really cool, like interesting sort of sci-fi flick. Um, and I think anything with space, right? I think there's a, bu a bunch of different tropes and there's a lot of things that you can necessarily do of why they don't have fire in space, why there's not guns in space and things like that. I think they kind of played up to that one pretty well. Um, and also kind of leading us to this kind of mysterious sort of uh, hopping on this journey together. Like we all kind of figure things out. So I thought that was kind of pretty cool. And I was kind of interested in kind of engaging in with that element as well as a simultaneous sort of storytelling. Because there's always something interesting to figure out. Kind of like Westworld, I think we talked about before. Of They're telling multiple stories, but we don't know from what perspective or what time frame and things like that. Like we kind of figure out all that information a little bit later. Um so I thought that was interesting that they did those things. Yeah, uh, that's that's kind of all I got about for this movie. Uh, I'm excited to talk about criticism and hot takes uh, with this movie. Awesome. Mocha, what are some of your wins on this movie? Yeah, so I, I think I'm unique in this situation, or at least in this group here, where I have a lot of things, of things in this movie that I actually do like. Um, for one, the visual the visuals in it were pretty solid. You know, this was a movie that wasn't made on a particularly large budget. It was originally um, supposed to be a five million dollar movie, which is crazy low, and then it wound up ending at around fifty million, I think. Um, but considering that budget, um, they were able to make some really believable sets. 
um, whether it was you know the the different rooms of the of the research vessel or just the um, CGI effects of seeing the Earth outside the window or just what things look like in general. Um, I thought it looked really good for a relatively low budget movie that surprised us on Netflix. Um, I would have expected less if you had told me about this ahead of time. Um, and there was one scene that comes to mind that really struck me, which was right when they turn on the team turns on the Shepard device for the first time and it rips that hole in space time. Um, there's a shift in gravity where suddenly everybody flies up and it hits the ceiling and everyone flies back down. And that alone is a pretty standard thing that we see in movies with practical effects. But what I thought was cool was that the ground that the uh, or the, the surface of this of the ship was littered at the moment with a whole bunch of shards of broken glass. And when that gravity switched, every single piece of glass went up with the bodies and then came back down too. And it looked like those were practical effects. If it wasn't, that makes a lot more sense. But if they were practical effects, that's a really cool technique. And it really, really drove the impact of that scene home. Um, especially early in the movie, where I still thought it was going to be a really good, scary movie. <laughs> it helped really in- add to the intensity of that of that sudden um, shift in gravity. Mocha, um, I, I got to say, I, I do think that the CGI was better than Bright, the last major Netflix film that we did. Um and the set design was good. I just thought it didn't really bring anything new to the table. Like, I don't know. It it seemed it seemed like kind of dull. Like it, they were good. They didn't look fake. Like at some points of bright, just like they didn't really stretch anything. Like it wasn't a spaceship I haven't already set foot in. You know. I agree. I I I think I can agree with that. Um, a lot of the issues with this movie is that. It kind of takes a lot of elements from different stories we've already seen and put and experience and just kind of mashes them together and puts Cloverfield on it. Um, but that being said, it was also very different than what we've seen from Cloverfield. Like the last time we saw anything that was really groundbreaking in the Cloverfield movie was the first one, and that was the the found footage style of recording. Um, with with this movie, at the very least, it gave us a setting that was familiar. You know, you had the claustrophobia of Ten Cloverfield Lane, where you're stuck in a tight space. Um, away from the rest of the world, but the technology that was in place, the um, the more sci-fi look of it, rather than it just being like a drab concrete concrete walls, uh, I felt like at least it was different for the franchise. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. There's there isn't too much originality in this movie. I think it'd be pretty cool if they would have also kind of put you know Tang Cloverfield Lane and at the same time do the Cloverfield Paradox and honestly release them at the same time. Um, I think that would have been a pretty sort of uh, just a cool way to say that, you know, just different ways of storytelling as well as, you know, it would have made it a little bit easier to necessarily kind of well, watch, I guess, these two movies sort of back to back because maybe, I don't, I don't necessarily know, and I think we're going to probably get into this a little bit later on, but like timeline, right? I guess we don't know what year Ten Cloverfield Lane probably came, but it was definitely before this, right? But after they actually do the, like, in this movie, and spoiler alert for this movie, uh, if they do this sort of time jump, right, does, do they still stay in the same year in time in the alternate universe? Or they they go back in time? Or well, so do they, like, the alternate, so The alternate universe doesn't really matter. That Like, that's its own thing. The thing that I wish they really left open was, and this is completely separate to your question, was whether they jump back to the initial universe and whether that was the actual universe <laughs> Or that if that wasn't, whether that was a third one. And I, do, I think they had a, a nice opportunity to hint at it, but they didn't really. They were like, oh, yeah, it's done. The story's done. They're in the, the normal one. They're going home. Um, 
What I will I say would... is I think that all these movies take place at the same time because you have that, that huge impact in London and that seems like it's parallel to the impact that's felt in, in uh, New York, right? In the first movie. I think the it was supposed to be stylistically um, parallel, but I don't think it happens at the same time because this film takes place in the year 2028 um, and the original movie took place in the year 2008. Um, we know that from the original, from the uh, the found footage, like camera number or whatever. Um, and I, I believe they said it early on in this movie. If not, I know it's like part of their actual promotion material that it started in 2028. Um, and I believe the implication is that the events of this movie um, create that quote unquote Cloverfield paradox that causes other time, uh, time like tears in time and space throughout time. And so the 2008 event happens because in 2028. Uh, they fuck up the time stream. Yeah, but that makes, at least I no, think that was the entire, the entire thing is just like Donald Logue getting on the TV and explaining it as like some pop psychologist, like spatial theorist who's like, "Oh yeah, demons are coming," and then the newswoman's like, "Demons," <laughs> and then just is dismissed as like a two minute scene. But he just explain he 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 explains the entire plot of the entire Cloverfield series. So this is you should we should actually save this section for later on because we can go back yep. and forth about what what it means in terms of like the branching off of different timelines and universes. Um, but we should definitely come back to this because I think it's one of the more interesting things that comes out of the end of this movie. Well, um, but in terms of just oh yeah yeah go ahead go ahead. In terms of just other um, positives that I liked about this movie, I thought that regardless of the failings um, from a writing standpoint and a storytelling standpoint. There are some really good performances all around. And like you mentioned earlier, the cast was really good. Daniel Brühl, um, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, Chris O'Dowd, David Oyelowo, all these characters are actors brought in some really solid performances. Um, and I don't think there were really any that were particularly bad. Um, I really, really dug Gugu Mbatha-Ra and her character, her feelings, her emotions towards freaking out and finding out that in this new, new universe that she's in, the children that she lost in a hellish blaze are still alive. And the way that sort of drives her to a brink of momentary insanity. I felt like a lot of her emotion felt really real. Um, the captain, David Oyelowo, I can't remember his actual uh, character's name, but Neil. you know, there's this, mo there's this moment Keel. where he's uh, Keel. Keel. Captain Keel. There's this moment where once he realizes that things are kind of fucked, he's sitting in his room by himself, sort of just like coming to terms with things, with things as he prepares to compose himself and go out and talk to his crew. And we get this really cool moment where he, it's, it's quiet, there's no dialogue, it's just a shot of him looking really shaken while he's sitting on his bed, and then sort of stealing himself and getting up and going out and addressing his crew. And that little bit of, like, of intense acting that was all just in his face told us everything we needed to know about his character and how he was dealing with the trauma of being in a situation that was completely out of his pay grade and having to save you know, the lives of his crew that he was with. Um, so I think for whatever faults the rest of the movie had, it was brilliantly casted. And um, it's, you know, gave me some, some pleasing shots in terms of uh, the visual effects. Yep. Cool. Andrew, what were some of your wins that you had for this movie? Yeah, I had a, um, <clears throat> a few uh, uh, abbreviated, punctuated, small, tiny parts of this movie that I enjoyed. Um, and that included the cousin It hand. Uh, we saw that in the trailer during the Super Bowl. We saw a hand crawling through the hall. And it's cool. You're like, is that a robot? Is that a zombie? Like, what kind of hand is that? And then the movie happens and you're like, oh, it's just a hand. That's still really cool. That was really well executed. The whole like um, sentient hand like was cool, but they didn't really do anything with it. It was still cool to me. I thought it was neat, but I feel like there could have been more done there, but I still enjoyed it. 
Um, the scene where the doctor husband on Earth One saves the child from the building when he sees the uh, the silhouette of a monster wandering through the fog was terrifying and was really cool and like teased that you were going to see more monster, but then you don't. But that scene was really cool, I thought. Um, the spaceship, space station design was really cool. Um, I think that like dealing with the themes and the, the plot of multiversal travel and things is still kind of over some people's heads. So there's going to be some people who hate this movie because they don't understand it, but because I read a lot of comics and I watch a lot of shows that deal with like the multiversal idea, I thought this was really cool. Um, that they sort of introduced that as like a main plot point and a lot of the things they could have done. There were things that I was like really looking forward to them doing with some of the characters that didn't happen, but I look forward to seeing what they do with it going forward with like the next movie and things like that. Um, I loved the marketing campaign. I love that it was just shout out after the Super Bowl. That was awesome. Um, super pumped about it. Didn't enjoy the movie, but I enjoy to see where things are going. So uh, I think onwards and upwards as a whole, I think this was a, a, a fun experiment. Awesome. Yeah, I would add on to that that um, one thing that I really liked, I'd second this with you, Mocha, was I thought the set design and the visual like environment was really well done. I mean, it's definitely a step above anything else that Netflix has done so far. So it was good to see that there was some quality production to the visuals in this film. Uh, I also thought it was neat that um, the scary thing because all the Cloverfield movies kind of have like a horror premise to them. The scary thing in this movie was like, what happens to physics when you rip the space time continuum? And that's what the scary thing was. It wasn't like the actual monster or something supernatural. It was like, oh, you found a random person fused with the wall and shit. Um, worms got fused with someone's insides and killed them and made them go crazy. Um, it was really nuts to see these things happen. I was glad that they kind of like uh, approached it that way, that it was kind of uh, like when you do have those special rifts. These are like theories that physicists have had that um, where points in time meet, and if they fuse together, it can cause some crazy shit to happen. Uh, so I was happy to see that as well. But along worm with theory. Those, worm, <laughs> theory. worm theory is my favorite branch of physics. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> but um, one thing uh, with these wins might have liked some of the things in this movie, but a lot of times uh, we don't like parts of the movie. Uh, Mr. Blue, what were some of your criticisms you had for this film? What it could have been. That's I think that's like the biggest thing for me. Like this movie had a lot in it that was like okay, and then it just went. Uh, for me, like, it just didn't know what it wanted to do. And I, I get it. They're kind of, they're doing a good job of, like, doing the found footage thing and then, like, the creepy bunker for the second one. Like, they're doing different films. And it sounds like the, the, the next film, which is, I guess, already in post-production and is due out this fall, is, is going to be something completely different. You know, it's a, it's a fourth, like, a truly fourth, you know, genre in one universe. Um, I, I just think that, like, you had to pick one for this. Like, they're up in a spaceship, and they're dealing with an alternate dimension. Like, 
I thought they were going to go the alien route because I thought they were going to introduce Cloverfield to, like, to the planet via the spaceship, you know? Like, I, I thought, and I, it's a remake of Alien. It's a remake of, what was that movie with... Uh, Life. Life, that everyone thought was a backdoor symbiote uh, reference, um, which would have been interesting. But, uh, and, and so, I, you know... I guess that wouldn't have been the most original thing in the world, but it would have been a consistent function. One thing that I, I thought they really should have played on was, uh, has anyone seen the, the movie Event Horizon? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So good. So good. I like it. Unbelievable. Evan, have you seen that? Oh, yeah. I used to be terrified of it, and then when I started liking horror movies, I watched it again. I was like, this movie's dope. Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. I was going to say, if you hadn't seen that, we need to have a movie night right now. <laughs> um, I'm on my way over. Um, and so, like, there's there's more than just... You can do scary without having necessarily, like, a big old monster. And so having someone do the alien... I thought literally those worms are going to come out of his chest like a chest burster. Like, I mm. I was so convinced. I was like, Or at least his eye. Like, yeah. you're yeah, with your eyes they, the entire time. Had yeah. it burst out of his eye socket. Yeah. The way they set it up, yeah. like, for sure, like, he was, like, his rib cage was cracking and moving and yeah. like it looked like it was gonna and it just didn't anyways that's a disjointed ch- uh, thought but um so they had jensen show up in the wall and so i think she brought with her a really cool concept that like she was from another crew and it looks like they almost just teleported in where that ship was and kind of took its place right you know, and then she ended up in the wall because she was a meter over in that hallway. And then when it took its place, she's now all of a sudden in the wall. And, I, and that's the way I, at least I took it. It's so, it, it's I the same like the movie points was... in space, crossing one another into different dimensions. And so they're going to trade off some matter. No, they, they didn't because the Cloverfield no. ship was on planet Earth. Like, yeah, I don't know, exactly... but you don't know if the if that if the engine was the thing that caused it to actually get damaged and crash to earth though. Well, but it was on the other side of the sun in their universe. Yeah. It, they were in a different make, location. That one didn't make two sense. The way that I, but they it, did show the ship crashed into like, that was like purpose, in the water though. on earth. Mm. Yeah. I don't All know. Right, we'll save it for afterwards. Yeah. I don't, I don't exactly know the way I kind of took it is that it took its place and that she ended up a meter over than where she would have, should have been. And she ended up in the wall and I thought it set up something really cool where his her distrust to Schmidt's character because Schmidt was like physically someone else was awesome. It was like the thing, you know, where like you didn't necessarily know who was evil because you didn't know what this universe was. I thought one of the best shots in this entire movie was in the when they're looking at uh was is Volstag or Volskin or whatever, and he's like doing his weird thing with the worms, and then Jensen is in the back. And she's, like, illuminated in that pasty, like, her pasty complexion. And all you can see is her, like, dead eyes staring into it. And then the rest of the crew is in their, their crew uniforms, like, gathering around the body. And I thought that was a really cool shot that, like, she was separated but just looking in. And you could have played with that so hard. Like, was Jensen the only one that came over? Wouldn't have been cool if Schmidt, like realistically did take the the Schmidt that we knew from the first half of the movie's place. And you could have played this whole cat and mouse game trying to figure out who was from what universe, because they all look the same, and they all share mostly the same background, just slight little differences to their personalities to create that unique character. 
and they would have been able to, you know, like the easy thing, if, if someone replaced Abbott right now, we could probably figure that out pretty quickly because they there's no way in hell a decoy would know all of their backstory, you know? Or if just their brain swapped places. Right. So, so you could have played this great cat and mouse game that they hinted at it, and then it just never went anywhere. Like, they're like, oh, I don't trust Smith. And then it's like, all right, well, I'm going to shoot him, but I'm going to shoot Monk, and I'm going to try and shoot... Uh, Hamilton for the exact same reasons. There, there's no payoff to that storyline whatsoever. And well, that's what I, I thought was going to happen with the Russian guy when his his eyeball went all like like weird. I thought what they were hinting at was that he did like a halfsies swap with his other half, and maybe he was like half and half. Like the other half was the Russian from the Earth Two universe, and that's why it was like independent. And he started talking to himself. Like the the eye thing, I could see because like worms in your brain pushing your eye around, whatever. But then when he starts talking to himself like he's two other people for a second i was like oh he's like two people in one body that would have been so cool that would have been cool except for the fact that he was the bad guy in their universe you know like he was he was the 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 russian guy yeah the the russian guy was the bad guy in that universe he was you don't think so i I took him as earth one when he makes the gun and stuff yeah gotcha yeah i got confused you meant the german guy I thought the German was the one who was who was caught selling secrets to German. The German too. guy was the bad guy in the second universe, right? But yeah, he was, he was a good guy in the first. Correct. Correct. Right. Right. Well, he we don't know if he was good. He just wasn't a traitor, right? You right. say. Yeah, I guess I like never... the theory though. I like the theory that you had talked about Abbott because that that right there and it took you maybe three minutes, right? That would have been way more interesting to see because it makes more sense from this. This movie, this story, this universe that you're establishing, because if there's something that's going over, I think everybody, and I think it would have been pretty cool, I'm going to toss it over to Mocha, but everybody should have been affected at some point. Something, everybody should have happened, not just one or two people, like the worms going into the uh, the Russian guy kind of came he out of nowhere. worms and then the, the engine thing, like he got the, like he got everything just stuffed in his butt. Yeah, yeah like almost the worst of it. So yeah. you're telling me you just don't feel that, or did it like did it phase over at that time that they were doing the autopsy? But also the, the no, worms, because it was gone right away. Yeah, and the worms were in the dimension they started from. You know, it's not like they. Yeah, it, that didn't make any sense whatsoever. Abbott, uh, do you have any other criticisms you'd like to add on? Oh, I have so many. Um, I mean, I thought most of the, the character interactions in general were pretty messy. Um, the the turn of the the woman who becomes the main character, the woman with the, the kids that are dead in her universe but are alive in her universe, Emily. you knew she was going to have that reaction, being like, oh my god, my babies are alive. But then when it drives her to suddenly be like, I'm abandoning ship, I'm abandoning my husband on Earth 1, and I'm going to live with this family with my doppelganger and raise my children and be with my children, just like it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. I can understand like a, a temporary lapse in sanity, but like she makes that judgment so fast to me, that was just kind of sloppy. Um, but at the same time, like if that's how it was going to go, she just seems to be driven in a very selfish manner. And then I can't get behind a main character who's selfish like that. Like if she's not, she's not like you were saying, she's not the one who's like, Oh, to kill three people to save 3 million people or 3 billion people. Like 8 billion. 
that's yeah, that's the that's the person you want to get behind, not the person who's like, I'm gonna just fuck these people. I I'm gonna fly off and be with my kids from another dimension. Like <laughs> I'm gonna get an escape pod and fly around the sun to yeah, from the doorstep of a very normal family and say, Hey, I'm your mom from a different direction. Let's go. So, <laughs> yeah, like, that too, so that didn't make any sense either. How <laughs> like, the hell was mom and a dad? Do they do well, they know in Cloverfield how freaking big space is that you can't fly through the sun <laughs> to get to the earth? Like, like that. You that, don't know. It's twenty. It's ten years like, from now. That would have been. Like I don't. I don't think you can argue. I don't think it's take it a few years. Like any sort of like so literally at this point, any sort of physics or science or math or any logic. Let's be honest. At the at the at that point in the movie is completely thrown away because say it's a paradox. Nothing. Well, even in the paradox, people have regular logic. And they even even have that to the point where I'm like, well, well, why? Now you're just putting things. I think somebody said this before. Now oh. you're just shoving things together just for a sake to make this oh. movie. And it then su- at, it suffers at from point, the was that Prometheus logic. Like oh. they're all supposed to be scientists and doctors and all in space, like astronauts and shit. And they're just like, oh yeah, let's just give it a go. Let's launch this thing and see what happens. Oh, press that button, whatever. Oh, alien life forms. Let's touch it with our masks off and no gloves on. Let's see what happens when we breathe this space fart. Oh well, shit. Well, besides the space, besides the space fart, the majority of this movie, like I felt like at one point that says, all right, we ready for this movie to end. And here's the stinger. So there was about like maybe 35 minutes of stuff just go th- blazes through. And I'm like, do, do we not wait? What's happening right now? I don't understand yeah. what's you're just killing off a bunch of characters. Okay. The movie ends. Uh, all right. I get it. Like you're just wanting this movie to end. Like, okay, I get it. Yeah. It's this movie is definitely uh, confusing as hell. Um. But yeah, it's, there's, <laughs> There's more, like, there's things that I thought it was leading into, like, again, going back to, like, the Russian guy being a split personality because he jumps into himself, or maybe they could have potentially swapped out the German guy when it's hinted at that he was the one who was spying for the Germans. Like, that would have been cool, but that never happened. Or there was a moment where they sort of made you believe, like, when the German guy approaches the blonde girl from Earth 2, and he's like, oh, just so you know, I'm not the guy from your universe, I'm not spying. And she kind of gives him that look, almost like she was working with him the whole time. Like, I thought she was also going to be a spy or she was going to be working for the Germans or something like that. And that never came around. And considering, like, this is the third movie in a franchise like Cloverfield that was so hyped up in the beginning and, like, such a big deal coming from a movie that had, like, crazy internet guerrilla marketing, there weren't really any callbacks until the very end when we see like like mega clovey which is like kind of dumb and wasn't really worth the wait but there like was, there was one that was so back. weird i mean like, the station's you know, name is cloverfield isn't it no the the, the, news, the newscaster is the same in 10 cloverfield lane the newscaster yep the one interviewing daniel Logue. wasn't the oh. space station called cloverfield it was the sta- space station was Clover- called Cloverfield, which is incredible to me because in this world there already exists a concept of a quote unquote Cloverfield paradox, where you do something bad with too much energy and it destroys time and space. 
And then people like people built an international space station to do experiments about time and space and clo- called it the Cloverfield Station. That seems a bit. <laughs> a bit I don't know. I think it would have been it would have been cool if like the end of Cloverfield when you sit to the very end and you see like Beth and the guy, what's his face? They're under that bridge in, in um, Central Park and the, the nuke or whatever goes off. The bomb goes off to destroy the monster and everything flashes white and then you think they die. It would have been so cool if suddenly they're on the spaceship. Like, that would have been cool. Like, just sitting there huddled, covered in blood from, like, 2008. They just survived a monster attack, but they're also on a space station that's about to explode. Like, that would have been a cool... You don't have to worry about those characters, but they time-swapped. And then the pod winds up landing in 2008. But then I I feel like there could have been so many cool things to bring things around. And it was just really sloppy and lazy and kind of shat out after the Super Bowl that I was just like, oh, well, that movie happened. I can't wait for the next one well, that takes place in World War II. Well, don't forget, too, that this movie's been in production since 2013. So it yeah. wasn't just shot out at the Super Bowl. This has been in works for five years. Mocha, what are some other beefs you have with this film? Yeah, it sucks. It sucks for me because I'm such a big <laughs> this franchise. You just cut it. And just, yeah, it sucked. <laughs> All right, War, it take sucked. us home. <laughs> it sucked as no, well. But it, wait, there, was, there was one more thing I wanted to add real quick, if I can. Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry to cut you off, Mike. Um, there were some characters, to me at least, that were wholly, like, unnecessary or useless. Like, the doctor on Earth-1, her husband, while he was supposed to sort of convey, like, be the person to check back with how's things going on Earth. Like, that's fine. But then he rescues that girl, and she's she might as well be a fucking mannequin. She was, like, useless. Well, he brought why, her into the, the bomb shelter that we thought was the bomb shelter from, from uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane for a second. But then she's just like gibbering and crying and being like, oh, did you find my parents? And they're like, oh, we found your parents. It's like, who gives a shit? Yeah, who who cared about that storyline at all? It didn't go anywhere. That movie, Nobody! That movie I was hoping she was going to get eaten by a monster. That should have been its own movie. You see this like heartfelt breakup at the beginning where the wife's got to go to space for some godforsaken reason. And then it follows that guy around as like he experiences it. And you tell it an hour and a half to two hour long story about that dude and then you could make it the like freaking uh the last of us where he picks up the you know you could even show the kids dying at the beginning of the movie and then you could show him picking up the girl later and then show how his like caring for his children has carried over to this new character i don't even know her name like i i I, there was nothing about her that stood out and it was there's no it didn't tie in with hamilton like, you could see if Hamilton came back and, like, started mothering the kids. But, like, she just didn't exist for anything. They should they should have just done that as, as its own movie. Like, straight up, just That's cut it from this one. what they were going to do was she was going to get back and she was going to be there. Like, they were like, oh, we found her parents, but they're dead. And then they just adopt the girl and they have a kid again. Like, yeah. that, you know, yeah, whatever. What is that going to be, like, a six-hour-long movie to tell that? Yeah. Warren, uh, are there any other things that you think we're, we should call out to criticize it for? Ah. Uh, I mean, let it out. I think we've already kind of. I, I would say I, I'm. I'm not here to kind of shit on movies. I, I never think that's actually fun, but just do the simple things right. So the doctor got shot in the gut and died immediately. Immediately, the German got shot in the gut and he was fine. He got shot in the arm. He was fine. She dug the two bullets out and dude's fine. What? Wait, hold on. Just pause for a second and like at least explain what's happening there. I mean, we talked about Chris O'Donnell, uh, O'Dowd's character. The acting was pretty atrocious in this movie. Uh, I, I definitely got to go against. I think somebody had said something from before, but if half the shit was happening in this movie, 
my goodness, like if if you if your arm somehow gets put into a metal thing and then you look in your arm and your arm is missing, you'll have some sort of reaction to it. You'll say something. You'll have an immediate reaction. What's actually happening? Not in the writings. Will say as the doctor examining him. Oh, oh my arm's sh- gone. Oh, oh, he's in <laughs> shock. Well, no. The first thing he said was, "Oh, it's like he was born this way." That's yeah. when I thought Lady Gaga was going to kick in, and then that was going to be the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's Lady, sure. Lady Goo Goo, who was oh. in this movie. <laughs> also, yeah, Warren, Warren, you. I mean, to be fair, though, so so. Medically speaking, if you get shot in the gut, if it hits some of these organs, like certain organs are just, you're done. And there wasn't a direct, like, he didn't die immediately. It was probably like, first of all, they're all Olympic level sprinters. That space station was huge. And they were, they were sprint every four seconds. They're like, get down here. It's like, all right, cool. I'm just going to dead run a mile. X deck. To that point, like, there was probably a couple minutes like between the doctor getting shot and I think I forget where the first or the first bullet that uh, Brule's character took was the second one was definitely right up here and now he's definitely got a busted arm but this is survivable the, like right I'm sorry I, I, this is a podcast no one could see me but I'm pointing to like basically my shoulder like that's not a death like sentence if you get that one whereas uh, no, yeah I, and I get what you're saying there Blue, but don't shoot him in the gut. Shoot him in the head. Take the shoot him in the head. Take oh, the key. You're done. You do, and you don't need to have. Why are you shooting these people in the gut? You're literally trying to kill this well, crew. So, so that's, what are you that's trying also, to do? That's good. She's also not a soldier. Yeah, that's good gun etiquette. Well, even soldiers are are told to to you aim center mass because that's more likely to bring something down. Um, and then that's in true. fact, she, you know, which she did, and then just do a double tap, and you're fine. Right. And well, that she's, would, she's not a soldier, so. Again, like it makes sense for anyone with a cursory amount of like gun knowledge is gonna shoot center mass. And then the the last thing there is they I mean there is there is precedent that if you got such a traumatic experience like losing an arm, you're gonna go in shock. And that people, even without nerve damage, have felt no pain because shock just shuts down the nervous system of the body. And they also made uh, a point of saying that the nerves were severed. So he wouldn't have felt really any pain to begin with. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying that. But if you're in shock, at least have some sort of reaction with, to what's, not, what's happening. And he, his character literally sat there as somebody else explained to us, as a viewer who saw everything, and these people who literally didn't see anything that happened, we get it. We understand. We physically saw what happened. Have a reaction character to that, not explain to us exactly what we saw and what he should be actually feeling in that actual you, you moment. Don't have, it's kind of lazy. You don't have reactions when you're in shock, though. Like, I, I got knocked pretty hard by a baseball when I was a kid, and I, I just remember sitting there just like with like a, a bloody rag on my face um, and just sitting and just kind of like nodding back and, the, back and forth. Like, if you're in shock, you, you don't react to things. You just kind of sit I'll there. Say- I'll say this also, like your your I feel like your your reaction is warranted, Warren. Um, in that there should have been more dialogue, like after the fact, where he's at least acknowledging the fact that, hey, I have to live the rest of my life now without an arm. This is weird. But um they they made a, a really clear point in the film of pointing out the fact that 
it wasn't like a normal wound. Like that, that part of his arm just disappeared and there was no blood. There was no sensation. He didn't physically feel any different. He just could visibly see that he had no arm. So like it was a, it was a weird one in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I like, it's one of these things in which, all right, so he ended up dying. I can't remember what his name in the movie, but he ended up dying because the metal that he put in to use a bond somehow contracted on him. Although the metal was still being drawn towards like the metal in that particular instance was going two different ways. And I think like they're setting up this alternate universe as things are just happening because of like what's happening. But it, the way that they made it seem like somebody was like after these people, like, like something was trying to kill these people, whether it's the waters bursting out. And at the same time, the water is leaking out inside that actual capsule, the capsules loosening up, it breaks the seal. And then she dies in some ice, which means she actually would have been frozen in ice and not dead, but whatever. And like these things that were happening. no, she would have been. If you get preserved, preserved then like you're Disney. dead. <laughs> okay, but, but like preserved gets, doesn't mean alive, though. <laughs> yeah, like, even turkey, like Walt Disney, her heart stopped. <laughs> you don't know, but like we can even look at the date, like the David O. character Keel of. Oh, hey! I have to do this. Bye. In this straight like leaves, and we don't even care about his death at that point. And I'm like. They just was kind of glazing. I, th- I just felt I felt like the movie was very lazy. I felt like they didn't the metal really thing was much. weird. I almost completely forgot about that. But when you see it creeping up on him, because like the like the magnetized thing isn't even really explained at all. It just suddenly that wall becomes magnetized, and he's like, "Guys, do you see this? This is really weird." Like the guy just listened to an ICP song and has no idea how magnets work. He's just gonna like check it out. And then these arms of like metal goo are like reaching out behind him. They did. They look like arms that were going to get him. And, and it pulls him back. It yeah, pulls that's him the thing. back. It would have made sense if it like impaled him and like hit the magnets, but then it brings him back, which doesn't make sense because then it implies some sort of sentience to the mat like the, the stuff, which is weird and bizarre. Well, it was more than just the stuff, it was the ship. Like I think Warren, you, yeah, you you gave something that I didn't even think about that like what was special about that spot? Because that spot had Jensen in it, which apparently, you know, affected her in one life, let's say. And then and then it also brought in uh, Mundy's character. So, like, like what, what was going on with that spot in particular that was, like, messing with the crew? Paradox. I don't know. I mean, like, it's one Paradox. of the things in which, like, they could have either showed us or something that, uh, we, you know, we talked about it before. Like, they felt like there was something that was after these characters. Whereas they could have just been like kind of like a final destination sort of approach, right? Like things were just kind of randomly happening for some sort of higher power, or whatever. Like I felt like they could have threw a bunch of scientific terms at us, and that would have been more believable than what they actually showed us. Um, so I think that was kind of weird. And if somebody were to basically phase into your ship, why all of a sudden would you believe this person more so than the other, the people that you've been in a crew with for two years? Why would you even help this? Why would you believe and help this person and not question this person? It felt like the simplest things of common logic that you would follow were just thrown out the window. And again, just like the Alien Covenant movie, these are supposed to be the smartest people on Earth that shows no signs of kind of common sense. It was just kind of tough. It, they get yeah, a space I mean, hitchhiker and they're just like, oh, she, she knows what she's talking about. To be fair, I've met plenty of brilliant people that have literally no common sense. 
Yeah. Well, that's fine. But then at the same time, right, if, if that's the case, then be consistent with it. Don't just have one German scientist know all the answers to everything and then explain it to us. And everybody else there was like, OK, I guess we're going to have to get it. I, I get it. So let's just yeah. kind of go with that. Yeah. It, it was just it just felt like kind of lazy. And I felt like they could have easily done a bunch of different things differently that they just kind of chose not to. Uh, and the fact that, much like Mocha was talking about, the fact that, you know, the Cloverfield has their name on this. I'm like, J.J. literally watched this movie and be like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's 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 show that. I would have loved they, to have seen what the original. Things. I would have loved to have seen what the original script looked like without, like, stuff that necessarily caught. Like, like the whole the whole husband's part must have been scrapped, right? Because that, well, the whole the whole point of that was, like, will show a little bit of Earth so we can reference the first two movies. Like, I, I wonder if the original cut from, like, 2014, from pre-production, was how different that was and how, how I, interesting that would have been. I'm sure All it was pretty significantly different. I'm pretty sure it was significantly different because the reason why Paramount um, got rid of this and gave it to Netflix in the first place was because it went way over budget. It was supposed to be a $5 million film that wound up being more like a $40 and $50 million film. Hmm. And then they were like, well, fuck it. We we're going to put this on ice. And then Net like they, they gave it to Netflix as a distribution, uh, like getting distribution rights or whatever, so they could finish the movie because they didn't want the financial burden of it. And I wouldn't be surprised if taking the God Particle at that point, putting J.J. Abrams as executive producer, and then figuring out a way to slap Cloverfield into it, changed the script in, in some sort of meaningful way. Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'd be surprised if it didn't. Which is funny because I feel like any of like the 20 ideas we've given, if any one of them was the original point of this movie, whether it would have been way better. You know, like, or, or something that we, we as like some five dumbasses hanging out drinking beer on a Tuesday afternoon, night, evening, wherever time zone you're in. Um, like, I wonder if, if it's like, if, if someone who's a professional script writer could think of something way cooler and it just got totally killed. Because they had such a killer cast. They, they could have yeah. done a lot with this. I think this is when we're realizing that we all need to get together and make a movie. Cut to... <laughs> the Clothing gang, optional. The gang makes yeah. a movie. Or no, yeah, the gang makes a porno. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One last thing I would add to this is, like, I, I'm a big fan of kaiju movies and giant robots and shit like that, but... The size they had of this Cloverfield monster was just there's there's a level too far, and this this crossed the line. When you have a monster that's literally as tall as the atmosphere, uh, it just breaks all like sense of fun or about a kaiju or anything like that. So yeah, this movie, my criticism with it, it's it's really frustrating at this point to be a, a Cloverfield fan. Um, this movie was much more of like a Cloverfield catfish than it was anything else. Um, they It was a bait and switch. They brought us in by saying Cloverfield, Cloverfield, Cloverfield over and over again. And the only thing that really tied it into the overarching movies was a really flimsy explanation that, well, the multiverse got fucked up. Therefore, Cloverfield happened at some point. And the gigantic version of the monster that we saw at the very end that you pointed out, Bryland. Um, but there was like, I mentioned this earlier and we've all talked about it in one ex in one point or another, but there seems to be a legitimate lack of desire to intentionally connect any of the elements of this franchise. And it's super, it's the saddest thing about it all. Um, like nothing made, like so much of this, of this film was just crazy for the sake of being crazy without be, making any, any real sense. 
you know, we already talked about all the different ways the characters died, but really, like, the ship seemed to be the enemy throughout the movie. The ship locks a girl into that room and fills it with water and then opens up the escape hatch um, and then magically turns that water into ice somehow. It feels like the ship um, cre- t- like cr- took the metal foam and actively grabbed Chris O'Dowd and invaded his body with it in order to kill him. It seemed like the ship was doing, like, the ship ate his arm. Um, like, it, all these things were very clearly the ship doing ra- random shit, but it's never, ever touched on, and no one ever gets freaked out by the fact that the ship is being weird. Like, everyone's just like, oh, we gotta get home. Oh, the ship ate Chris O'Dowd's arm, by the way. Oh, man, that's weird. We gotta get home. Oh, the ship drowned this girl. Oh, that's weird. We gotta get home. And it was just bizarre, because you have these elements that are compelling, but there's clearly no reason for them to be happening other than they need ways to kill the characters to to give you jump scares. And that's such a waste. It's such a freaking waste of creative p- potential. Like, all those deaths were cool deaths that could have been, that, that if they were strung together in some sort of narrative structure um, with a common enemy, would have been more meaningful than just what they were at the moment. Um, I feel like there were also, like, we've mentioned in a bunch of different ways, there were all these different plot points and character development points that could have been focused on instead of having these characters be really shallow and one-dimensional. Blewett and Abbott actually really focused on this. You know, they wanted to tell multiple stories. It seemed like at some point the script had a lot more going on on Earth than than we got in the movie. Just pick one, like pick a story and tell us it. You know, give us that chance to have to have these narrative elements develop. The fact that there are Cloverfield monsters on Earth is a very compelling story and a very different story than what we have going on in space. So if you're going to show us so many scenes on Earth, like give us reasons to to go back to Earth. Like make there there be a point. You could have just as easily had Hamilton's husband in the beginning introduced have the universe's switch, and then never focus on Hamilton's husband again at all throughout that entire movie until they switch the universes back and then have that same final scene where Hamilton's husband is like in the bunker on the phone. He's saying like, and they're saying, oh, we found your wife. And he's screaming, tell her to turn back. Don't like have them come. It would have been just as scary and just as, as, as intense. Well, that, um, yeah, that would have been, that would have been more intense because you wouldn't have seen anything that happened on Earth. So why is someone screaming, don't come back? Exactly, and it would, yeah. And it would have also kept engagement in for the next one, because if you think of this as a serialized product, it's like, oh, I want to find out what happened in the interim that everything got that terrible. Exactly. And it plays into the the rest of the Cloverfield franchise. The rest of the Cloverfield franchise is something bad happened for some reason, and now there are monsters here. So we already know that. We know that from Cloverfield 1. We know that from 10 Cloverfield Lane. There are monsters on Earth, and it's shitty. If Cloverfield Paradox is about the events in space that tear open the time continuum in the first place, we don't need to see that guy on Earth um, like see an explosion in the distance and then a quick cut. We don't need to see him walking by in a, like a destroyed building, despite how cool that scene was with the monster walking through the fog. We didn't need, that didn't add anything to the movie because they didn't go anywhere else with that storyline. So remove those scenes in the middle, use that to add extra character development or narrative development on the spaceship. And then, and then end the movie with that intense moment. Because if we, she had come back to Earth, he screams at the fo- like on the phone, tell them to turn back when there's these monsters down here, don't bring them back. And then it ends with a giant super mega Cloverfield, whatever, screaming into the sky. I feel like that's a way more, more intense ending 
than the one that we got, despite it being the exact same ending, just with less in the middle. Um, there were a lot of really silly things in the movie in general. Um, one thing that I really can't get over, and it drove me crazy the first time I watched it, and when I rewatched it, it made me even more more like insane about it, was the fact that we have this ship, right, that is designed for a deep space, or not even deep space, but just a long-term um, space mission. Um, it has a central hub, clearly. It has a place where the captain sits and he can control most things. And the rest are all these spinning rooms that are there for like, people to live on. Yet, for some reason, when the explosion happens and they decide that they have to go down and decouple from the ship, two things happen. One, the captain says, uh, this job, this, we won't get this job done fast enough unless all of us go. So all three go down, even though all they had to do was literally flick one switch. <laughs> like three of them jump across, like jump across this gas, this chasm in space, risking their lives just for him to flip a switch. And yeah, then two, and two of them are there to watch him die. <laughs> yeah, and two, this has to go down as one of the worst design choices in the history of design. If you are putting a switch inside a section of the space station that decouples it from the rest, why is that switch inside the section that would be getting decoupled? Instead of in the captain's <laughs> quarter where he has all the buttons and controls anyway. Like, it's just insane. It makes no goddamn sense. We're 20 years in the future and design has gotten that bad. No, absolutely not. It was strictly there to have a death scene for the captain, which is fine. If you want to have him go off in a self-sacrificing way, like, I like that about his character. But don't make it so stupid because it devalues the intensity of the scene in the first place. Well, yeah, Warren, I, I thought you would like... What's up? the design of the ship because i kept seeing it when they do like the whole shot of the ship and i'd be like wow that thing looks like it's getting ready to open a really big bottle of wine yeah i, I thought i thought it was suppo- I, th- I thought it was supposed to but no i mean it was kind of weird because even after the 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 captain died i felt like there was no nobody said anything about it like they didn't even mention it they just kind of glazed over it and just kind of kept going and i'm like that don't you? Aren't you supposed to take a moment to like realize the fact that this sel- this guy just sacrificed himself for everybody here at, at least? But then why wouldn't you send? No, yeah. I got I, I I got no no rationale. Yeah. yeah, it's it's silly, and it was a, it was there just to be there. Uh, similarly to Chris O'Dowd's arm, I was a big fan of just the visual gag of his arm like moving itself across the floor. Um, and for some reason, like, like trying to t- give them a message, like that's all like interesting enough, but why is it that Chris O'Dowd's arm that was eaten by the ship has knowledge about the state of their ship from like, as if the, the arm saw what happened in the past. Cause the arm gets a pen and writes out, Oh, open up your dude. The dude who just died, open up his fucking chest. They didn't inside. have just worms in there. He had a gyroscope, too. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, all right, how many things... First of all, how many things are you going to shove up this guy, for one? Like, like goddamn, like, pick one. He's Second of all, fries. what happens when Chris O'Dowd's, O'Dowd's arm gets eaten by the ship that it comes back in a different part of the ship with knowledge about what happened in the past, despite the fact that the body that it came from had no none of that knowledge in the past, present, or future? Like, where, like what's going on there? And I, took- I get it. It's... I took it's that everything. it was an alternate dimension arm. Like, they essentially swapped his arm for the other arm in the other dimension, but that still makes no sense as to why he would know anything about anything. At best, it it's his, an arm from the future. But yeah. it was his arm, though. It was, it was his arm because of the bandage, and they guess, like, ex- the, 
that was from their own like universe that was chopped off and then moved in the same uni- in the same space. Yeah, I, I, some, I don't know. I don't know how. Yeah, I, some, I tried to rationalize it; it didn't work. Yeah, somehow being moved through the space time of that was the walls of the ship sent it into the future where it learned that the Russian has the key in his chest and then got spat back into the ship at the right time so that it could tell it them took, by writing out a note. <laughs> well, like, I mean, it's just insane. And guess, you know what? If you have Chris O'Dowd's arm get eaten and then show that arm just kind of crawling through the halls on its own, that's creepy in and of itself. It doesn't need to be anything else. Like, that's just creepy. Um, why did you have to make it go to that point where it has knowledge and, like, is also aware, the arm by itself is aware that people are around it who want to know this thing, that it's going to write. Like, I don't know. It was just fucking weird. And, like, weird for the sake of being just, like, nonsense. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, just the scene where they they shoot back to it later and it's just kind of tapping its fingers on the table like it's just bored. It's like, who played that arm? That wasn't Chris O'Dowd's arm. That was another, like, famous person's <laughs> arm. stunt arm. Just their arm. This is George Clooney's arm. <laughs> I mean that that scene where it's tapping his fingernails, it's kind of funny. It's a it's a it's a it's an it's a funny enough sight gag in a really silly way, but it wasn't the time for silly in that movie. And you know, like Chris O'Dowd's character was pure comic relief, but also it felt super out of place. Um I think this movie, if they went all in with it, could have been a comedy, and I think it would have been a better movie if they had just been silly about it. <laughs> but they didn't. They wanted to make it a serious, scary movie where nothing made sense. And guess what? Like when it comes to horror, things being unknown is scary. Nothing make any fucking sense is not scary. It's laughable. And, yes. and that's a huge miss on their part. This is the equivalent of like uh, the Ikea directions of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, the last thing I want to say, because this absolutely drove me off the wall, is the fact that when they're in Earth 2, or in the space around Earth 2, and everything has gone to shit, and all other, like, everything, everyone's died, and it's just, it's just, um, what's her name? Uh, Hamilton and Daniel Brühl. Uh, she goes, oh, well, we just have to get rid of the condensation, and then turn the machine off, and it'll fix everything. And then it does! <laughs> like, they just go right back. They flick the switch, they get rid of condensation. They're chilling in this film. And it sends them back to their universe, but just like two weeks later. So this implies then that there are only two universes, not really a multiverse. It's just a binary universe. What? <laughs> like what? What? Like why is it? Why is it that in this movie, the solution was turning it on, off and on again? That's <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> because Chris O'Dell was in this movie. <laughs> oh my god! It just—it was just so frustrating. Like. Yeah, no science showed up that I'd lose my mind. <laughs> That's what I was saying is like, what if Hurley sh- showed up on the space station, just like fat, <laughs> and just hanging out? <laughs> you had the right, you had the right um, idea. I think it was you who said this, or maybe it was Blewett, um, who said it's like the Prometheus effect when it comes to their yeah. scientists. It, like no scientist in the world would have been in that situation and said, "Oh well, if we turn it back on again, it'll just reverse everything that already happened." Oh, it's only like, gonna make it worse. No, like, yeah, at best. And why didn't the movie make it worse? If it's a multiverse and turning on the Shepard device fucks everything up, 
they should have came out of that into a much more fucked up situation and have it be like a like a Twilight Zone esque like ending where it's you don't get to see them die, you don't see the resolution, but you know that their life is ruined because they came back and everyone on Earth um, is like a walking dildo or something like terrifying. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> on top. <laughs> like nothing yeah. else makes sense, so it fits I'll, right the fuck in. I love I, I love the was... line that like oh the condensation was messing with our readings. Bitch, you said that an hour and 40 minutes into yeah, this movie? Yeah, use the windshield wipers. <laughs> no way. Come on, it's man. You like, gotta give yeah. me more than that. Oh, man. Condensation, man. Got condensation a little moist in there. caused the Cloverfield <laughs> event. All those people in New York died because of condensation. John Goodman got trapped underground because of condensation. Oh, there Not was a... This. <laughs> there, was a, there was a point where it was established that the, the German guy was, was in a relationship with Zhang Ziyi, and she turns to him and she's like, hey, can you come over here and check the moisture levels? And I just looked at Kyle and I was like, damn, if my girlfriend came over and asked me to check the moisture levels, I would be on that. <laughs> yeah, there was a weird sexual tension. I don't think they ever said that they were dating, but there was like a weird... Weird tension that, like, they could have gone well, so many places. Fun fact, all sexual tension between scientists is weird. Well, why were they talking in, <laughs> why, why were they talking in Mandarin at some points and then talking in English and other points? Because in 2028, everybody speaks everything. Yeah. Fact. Just well, choose like the one. ISS. Everyone speaks, speaks multiple languages on the ISS. Tam, Tam speaks Mandarin, so everybody knew Mandarin for her. But every, when they don't want to believe bring her into the conversation that they just speak English. Yeah, but he was speaking he was speaking English to her and she was just speaking Mandarin back to him. She only understood she's more English comfortable with a German speaking. accent. Oh, English with a German accent. Got it. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know why we're asking my, any questions about this movie. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, I just it's feel like the furniture and it's still upside down. Ultimately, I feel like the fans of Cloverfield, those one, those fans like me who were there in 2008 when we watched the those first trailers in theaters that showed absolutely nothing and got us all super fucking excited. The ones who were in the theater and watched as TJ Miller, still fat, ran around with a fucking camera and scared the shit out of all of us about this this like apocalyptic event in New York City. Um, we're I feel like we're owed some intent in what comes next. We're not owed like a good movie, but we're owed intent. Like, try to fucking make this a real franchise. Try to make it a story that has meaning. Because as of right now, I gave it a pass with Ten Cloverfield Lane, where they just barely connected it in at the end. But at this point, it's clearly a trend that they're not interested in telling a Cloverfield story. They're just interested in slapping Cloverfield on as many stories as they can. Which Wait until Infinity War. <laughs> Cloverfield. <laughs> Black Panther's big reveal. So it seems like this movie had a lot of opportunities to be better at what it was doing. Um, final thoughts for this uh, for Cloverfield paradox, Andrew Abbott. Uh, I think it would have been a much better movie if it was uh, Cloverfield paradox. I know I said that before, but. Um, I think they're really missing a market there. Mostly people's feet. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it was still a steaming bowl of slusho. Um, uh, go do yourself a favor, watch the first two movies again, and then pretend like this one didn't happen and wait for Overlord to come out and reserve judgment in 2020, whenever they decide to ship that one out. All right. October. Mike blew it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I don't know. It was a Netflix movie. It was... It was there. I already paid Netflix my, you know, whatever, 
whatever comes out of my monthly pocket. So it's free entertainment at this point. Um, you just paid for it. It was not free. Yeah, but I mean, I paid less than the price of one movie to go see infinite amount of entertainment. So I'll give it a pass on that one. Um, <laughs> great marketing uh, and sparse of what could have been. It was like infinitely frustrating just to see like, this would have been a cool movie. This would have been a cool movie. This would have been a cool movie. And I'm only here because they set me up with this crazy cool marketing technique that they did. Disappointing. I'm, I'm just here so I won't get fined. Yeah. Warren. <laughs> Warren, final thoughts. Don't watch this movie. <laughs> this movie was a waste of time. And, and honestly, to be completely honest with you, I think this movie is only going to give you more doubt to the future of not only this franchise, if you want to call it, of Cloverfield. Um, it also gives me a bit of doubt of just looking at Netflix original sort of blockbuster movies they're trying to put out, because the last time that we saw, you know, and I missed the Bright podcast here, but, you know, Bright was the last one, and they also didn't seem to really give a shit in that the movie either. Stupid Gesture was the last one. No, 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 no. Like, big, like, like blockbuster release that has a sequel. Okay. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Like, Funeral and Super Death are very different, right? But, like, Bright was hammed up, and that's like this whole thing, and it's already got signed on for a second one. This is part of me on the universe of the Cloverfield, so that, that's the type of genre that I'm talking about. Um, it's not good, and it, it feels like they're making these movies for a particular kind of demographic, um, but they're not really doing their due diligence of making good cinema. Um, uh, okay, final thoughts. Um, this movie was bad. It was a bad movie, um, but there's a part of me that likes it a lot, and honestly, I'm going to probably watch it a third time tonight. Um, don't watch this. You should watch this movie. Do not watch this movie expecting to see a good movie. Do not watch this movie expecting to feel good about yourself or the franchise. Um, don't look for it. But maybe watch this movie anyway. Just see. I mean, it's an hour and 40 minutes out of your life on Netflix. Um, it's not like you're watching the extended edition uh, Return of the King. <laughs> um, you'll get it over and done with, and you can at least understand why we're all so frustrated. Just go watch a few of those stupid right. gestures. It's much better. Much better. And it's, and it's shorter. Yep. My final thoughts would be, uh, I think this movie kind of epitomizes the whole Cloverfield franchise because um, I think there's a lot of neat concepts, but they're not always executed as well as they should be. I think it's kind of neat that um, JJ uses this franchise as like kind of like a uh, way to have new directors test out their chops given limited budgets and looks like limited screenplays for the most part. Um, Daniel Trachtenberg did a great job with 10 Cloverfield Lane and uh, this guy uh, has some opportunities. It's a terrible movie. It just wasn't executed well. And I'd say one other thing that was just kind of bad about this movie was the editing of it. I mean, the way they cut this movie together uh, I think led to a lot of the confusion about like what the hell is going on uh, at different parts of the film. Uh, and with that, we have been the Down and From Podcast. Uh, we're always making more podcasts and other cool things. Uh, Mr. Abbott, where can we find more of your work? Yeah, you can <clears throat> search the abs man on the internets, um, and most of what you'll find is uh, safe for work. Uh, the other half is not safe for work, but I'll leave that up to your judgment. Most of my YouTube work is better than the movie that we reviewed tonight, um, and that's mostly just shitty old uh, music videos that I shot in my basement when I was 10 years old. Um, but yeah, search that on the internet and see what you find. If you find me naked somewhere on the internet, that's your own fault. Those videos are Roman Polanski approved. 
Moko, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter debating whether or not I'd give a my alternate universe self a handjob at Mocha Mike Li, as the Lord intended. <laughs> uh, fortunately, you cannot find me at Mocha Mike. The person who has that um, is actually from a different multiverse and got swept away before you can give me the rights to it. So unfortunately, that's just gone forever. Um, but you can find me there at Mocha Mike Li on Twitter, also on Instagram, uh, Instagram.com/slash Mocha Mike where you can see some of my photography work and on medium at medium.com slash at mocha Mike for some long form reviews of the movies that we talk about here. Awesome. Cool. Mr. Shredder, Mike Blewett, where will we find you? You know what's happening? You can find, uh, you can find me at my news music or my news band on most major platforms. Check us out. We have absolutely nothing new except for an EP that's ambiguously being launched. It's four songs, literally, and it's taken us like nine months. I've been teasing this thing for the past like seven podcasts we've done, and we are nowhere closer. The artwork's done. It looks beautiful. Thank you, Andrew. Um, <laughs> it's it's one of those things that we're just mad lazy. That's it. Um yeah. I don't have a great one for Jesse Rand because there's too many funny things. Like I was thinking, just going the Tom Brady thing with like the Tom, you know, Jesse Rand makes out with like him, him, his younger self. Like that's weird. Uh, there's the whole like it makes out with his alternate dimension, but that's too close to Mocha's thing. Ooh, like, how about uh, Jesse Rand is filled with worms <laughs> and makes out with babies. Yeah, it's all like this movie was too terrible to make a a terrible Jesse Rand joke about. There's too much there. Jesse Rand makes a good Cloverfield movie at (laughs) (laughs) gmail.com. I think that's (laughs) that works. And I am the mouth of South Brylan. You can find me um, trying to pronounce names I should be trying to pronounce on Twitter at Brylan, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Also, we'll post many movie reviews on Instagram at I am Bryland. And um, also the host of the Gamescast, twitch.tv slash downfront podcast. Right now I'm on a little bit of a hiatus because I got a little bit limited broadcasting uh, tools out here while I'm living it up on the West Coast. In California. But Mocha and Warren, thank you for subbing in. You're still making the games cast still fun and entertaining. Can't wait to see more Monster Hunter when you get back, Warren. Yeah, definitely yeah, keep an eye out. We've got Monster Hunter World coming from Warren. Uh, we'll oh, eventually yeah. have some Final Fantasy Dissidia NT coming from me. Ooh. Weeaboo status. Let's go. Awesome. <laughs> Excited. Cool. And Warren, where can we find the rest of our stuff? For all of our work, definitely the first place I would say is definitely check us out. We have a po- uh, website, um, so it's downinfrontpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be finding our Instagram live reactions, our Twitter feeds, our SoundCloud, like literally anything and everything you actually need, uh, especially for our patrons. We just want to say thank you so much. So if you do want to support us, patreon.com slash downinfrontpodcast. That's also going to be awesome. And uh, we just want to say some kind of thank you so much just for kind of hanging in there with us as well. We're going to be doing a bunch of more stuff as we always would be um i know I, I definitely when i get back i have a couple of uh these patreon uh patron only sort of episodes that i'm trying to uh get recorded but i'm trying to make not make them too long so definitely kind of keep up keep an ear out for that uh and also i wanted to do a small highlight for right now of the soundcloud if you want to go in uh start voting because i know thank you for blue and he starts making all of our music for this podcast and although it's a bit of a hot take that stranger things is the best 
theme for our podcast, but some people think Star Wars is good. So why don't you be the judge? Check us out on SoundCloud. Awesome. Well, we have been in the Down and Front podcast. This has been our review of The Cloverfield Paradox, uh, starring a bunch of actors. I'm like, no way! <laughs> Who was in that movie? <laughs> David Oyelowo. I got it. Hey! There we go. Hey! All right. Cool. Awesome. We will be back again with another movie review shortly. Have a great night. Later. Bye. Don't buy the battery. Hug your kids. Peace. Bye. 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 Bye.